We live in an age in which we are told that our trust in institutions is at an all-time low. We live in an age where apparently a lot of us feel let down by the institutions that shape and in some sense govern our life. In the State of the Union address, President Obama held up for us the example of the US Armed Forces as an exception, an institution that enjoys extremely high regard and, and trust from, from us. But Gallup polls tell us that tr our trust in banks and newspapers and public schools and so on are at, our, at the lowest level ever. And at the end of last year, our trust in Congress was about 12% approval ratings. The church is down, but fares a little better than some of these, uh, than a, but, but, but not as good as a few years ago. And what happens to us when our expectations, wherever they come from, are disappointed, particularly when we focus on and start getting angry about the institutions that govern our lives, is we start to withdraw. And we start to withdraw from engagement, and we get down to more and more local relationships. And we tend to gather with our friends. And they tend to be people of like mind. And they tend to be people who look and sound and believe as we do. And so as we withdraw, we become increasingly fragmented from one another. And our little groups become increasingly homogenous. So I might start harumphing about the Archbishop of Canterbury and his leadership and the Anglican communion and, and forget that and thank God for the Episcopal Church and then they'll do something that will irritate me and well forget them, thank God for the Diocese of Atlanta. I love our bishop. And then I go to a meeting and enjoy seeing the people and think what a wasted opportunity. Thank God for All Saints Church. And you know it just you get you start closing in and you can have any number of hierarchies. The, the government in Washington, thank God for the people in Georgia, well, they're a mess. What about, thank God, at least I like my representative, or whatever it is. We start getting narrower and narrower and narrower, and more and more fragmented along the way when we're disappointed. And so we withdraw into relationships that are more immediate and personal to us, and where we're less likely to have to confront regular challenge and difficulty and otherness. 20 years ago now, uh, a, a futurist with the unlikely name of Faith Popcorn recognized that this was coming and named it as cocooning. Said, we're all going to be cocooning. And so she recommended that people who market and sell things ought to be marketing and selling things that are appropriate to the home. And so you'll notice we have really, really, really big television sets now, which is because they took her advice and realized that people will spend money. We will spend money on our cocoons, places where we are safer and where we're less challenged and so less likely in some respects to be disappointed. Now this cocooning trend affects all of us. Our disappointments and responses to those disappointments shape the world we live in, including everything from the things people want to sell us to the increasing fragmentation of our society. I'm hoping that as a presidential campaign gets underway sooner or later we're going to hear someone talking about the common good or about what builds us up as a, as a community of all people, or, or our mutual responsibility, or how blaming doesn't get us anywhere. I want to hear someone going beyond the fragmentation of our society where the common good is only what I define it to be, and nothing to do with what you define it to be. Brothers and sisters, we follow a Lord and a faith that was in many respects focused on recasting institutions in favor of a personal relationship. That movement is not so unusual or unnatural 
But what Jesus did was different. What Jesus did was extraordinary, in fact, strange in many, many ways. So we hear again the Ten Commandments, the giving of the law, this gracious gift of identity to a people wandering in the wilderness that said, you are the kind of people who love the Lord your God, who stay in touch with the source of your life, who don't do things that break down community, but do things that build them up. And so you don't murder, and you don't commit adultery, and you love God, and you honor your parents, and you, you are the best people who you can be, and that might make you different than the people around you because you care about the whole. And every Sunday during Lent, we begin our service with this remembrance of our aspiration to be the kind of people that we believe we can be. And Jesus comes along and says, by his time, the law has become not a thing that builds up, not a thing that creates community, but the very place in which division is made most extended, the rich from the poor, the people who are in from the people who are out, the sinners from the saved, and so on and so forth. The law becomes the, the means of distinction and separation. And Jesus says, I haven't come to destroy the law. I've come to fulfill the law. I've come to say that what you looked for in the law, you now look for in relation with me. You now look for in right relationship with God and one another. It's personal, and it, it is in a sense withdrawing from the institution, but for the purpose of renewing the institution. So the greatest commandment is love God and love your neighbor as yourself. I didn't come to destroy it. I came to fulfill it, and what you looked for in the law, you now find in relation with me. He did the same thing with that second great pillar of Israel, namely the temple. John, we hear today, puts the conflict with the temple right at the beginning of his gospel. It's the conflict that will lead to Jesus' execution and murder at the hands of the state. Because he says, this institution is not really, as you think it is, the guarantor of God's presence among you. Jeremiah said the same thing all those years ago when the temple was destroyed and the people taken into exile. They believed because the Ark of the Covenant had been held there that this was the assurance of God's presence in their midst. And Jesus says, wait a minute. I'm going to build this temple again in three days. It is going to be destroyed. And it became an issue in his trial. This was blasphemy. This was undermining the faith of Israel. And he went in and he overturned the tables of the money changers and got rid of the cattle and said, you've turned a house of prayer, a house of, of remembering what is of true worth, remembering the Lord your God, remembering justice, remembering right relationship, and you've turned it into a marketplace where people are valued by what they can consume. You've turned it into an abattoir, a slaughterhouse, a mechanism for being righteous over against those who are unrighteous. And what you do from now on is you look for that assurance of the presence of God in right relationship with God. You look for what you looked for in the temple, the presence of God in your midst, you find in relationship with me. It's a really strange claim, but that's what he did. And then the third pillar of Israel is the land, a sense of home, the place where the people given an identity in the wilderness through the giving of the law found themselves as they as Moses led them to the edge of the Jordan. They crossed the Jordan into the land of promise and started claiming their own sense of belonging, their own sense of, of home. 
And that travel, that journey was remembered and is to this day remembered in the Seder, the annual recollection and remembrance and reenactment of that story of release from bondage in Egypt, release from slavery, release from wilderness, that sense of being brought home. And Jesus says, wait a minute, this bread from now on at a Seder or Seder-like meal on the night before he died, this bread is now my body. What you looked for in the land, belonging, home, hope, freedom, justice, righteousness, you now look for in relation with me. It's, it's, it is withdrawing from the institutions in favor of a personal relationship. It is affirming what we all tend to do when we're disappointed. But it's different. It's different because the Holy Spirit is poured out so that everyone whom God has made, everyone comes within the possibility of that relationship with God and so with each other. It is utterly opposed to the fragmentation where we divide up and blame each other and launch bombs. It is the hope of the world that in right relationship with a person, a kind of personal relationship, in fact, that we have hope for the renewal of the institutions that shape our lives, that Jesus did not come to destroy, but to transform. Now, the church is in many ways the chief institution that can disappoint us because we invest so much expectation in what can happen. And I think of the church as a leaky chalice from which grace somehow gets dispensed, often through the cracks. And I don't confuse the church with the people of God, but I know that at the heart of the church are people called and invited into righteousness, into right relationship. And it is through the telling and enacting of the story, the, the container, if you like, for the keeping of the story that is given to us by God in the first place that reminds us what really matters and for our carrying out of the practices that keep us reminded that the institution will fail from time to time, but in the end, the institution is about us. It's about us and our relationship with God and one another, and there lies the hope, and there lies the fact that we can begin to act in ways that bear witness to what really matters. So we come around the table and we remember do this for the remembrance of me. And in the remembering, we are remembered. We are put together. There's no sense of club here. There's no sense that we're all friends here because we wouldn't be here if we weren't all friends. <laughs> there's, there's none of that. There's none of that. It's being put back together from all the brokenness, from all the pain, from all the sin, back to people who bear witness to hope, reasonable and holy hope, that we can go out and act in the world as people who say things about the common good, and things about not blaming, and things that build up rather than tear down, and things that pull together even in the face of difference, because we, in a sense, bear witness with our lives to the hope of the world. And so let's take some time to pray and once again respond to the gospel, giving thanks this Lent for being reminded of where we've gone astray, 
and called not to destruction, but to the renewal of the important institutions of our lives. Not to withdrawal, but to re-engagement in a way that is real for the things that shape the world we live in. Not to alienation, but to reconciliation. Let us give thanks for God's grace in our lives and respond to the gospel in silence and in prayer.